Thanks for downloading this podcast from The Rock of York. We hope it inspires you. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, at The Rock of York, or search for The Rock of York on Facebook. And of course, there's the website at www.rockofyork.co.uk. But you probably already knew that. Here's something you might not know. I'm really glad that we sang that song um, because I want us to do a bit of letting go of what we need to tonight. And um, I've been spending the last 24 hours probably while I've been preparing this, thinking through what things do I need to let go of in order to embrace something else? Because if you're holding things like this, um, sometimes so close to our chest, you know, you can't then embrace somebody. So I'm going to encourage you to do some letting go tonight. Um, I believe that we can experience this great life to the full. Um, It's good news, I believe absolutely, and a joy that overcomes, in immeasurable love that never fails, um, and a real chance to participate in the restoration of all things. But let's be honest, sometimes this way of living um, is certainly not for the faint-hearted. It takes courage and it takes conviction to walk some of the paths we have to walk in order to live the way that we want to live. And I've put my title as Relentless Tenderness tonight and I've linked it to We Believe in New Beginnings and Second Chances, but I actually could have pretty much linked it to anything in our welcome video because at the core of what I'm going to talk about tonight, I think it runs through everything. And to actually live some of those statements um, that we are very, very convinced about sometimes requires great courage because it isn't what we believe isn't this pie in the sky, feel good escapism for away from the realities of some of what we have to face on a day-to-day basis. And it isn't a guarantee of a life without pain or difficulty. I was with my mum today and she was reminding me of um, a season in my life when I was in my early 20s when I just genuinely believed that nothing was ever going to go wrong in my life. I, I really was like, I'm, I'm, my, I'm protected from all pain. Um, it was great. <laughs> kind of misbelieving that. It's not this insurance policy that kicks in when, um, you know, so that nothing ever fails in our life because we're airlifted out without any consequence. Um, it isn't just merely a mood altering thing. It isn't a we're in and they're out. We get rewarded because we believe right. Others are suffering because they don't believe right. Um, I thought today the Pharisees in Jesus' day had their beliefs about who was in and who was out. And it's always very convenient that the people who often shout the loudest about the belief that people are in and other people are out are always the people that are in. Seems bizarre to me that. Um, Now, it is so much more than that. It is so much more than that because we've learned that it is Christ in us, the hope of glory. In us. It's amazing. His very weight and significance are one with each of us. I and the Father are one. We are one body. Um, And like that loaf of bread we heard about a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, it's not about the yeast being taken out. It's about everything being brought in to make something substantial as a body with which to feed the world. And I I just think that's amazing. Now, there's been some really sort of sobering events on the news this week, haven't there? And let's face it, there are every day. I know we feel the ones sometimes that are closer to home, but you could switch on the TV any day of the week and see something that makes you just think, wow, that is hard. Um, And 
I, I remember today about that scattered starfish. Do you remember the story of the child who walks on the beach? I think he's with his dad or whoever in the story. And he looks at all the starfish. And then one by one, he starts throwing them back in the water. And the person he's with says, what are you doing that for? It's impossible. What you're trying to do there is impossible. It's not going to make any difference. You throwing them back in one at a time when there's this many. And the boy, or whoever it is, throws in the next one and says, well, it's making a difference to this one. And I just think that tonight, one choice at a time, one thing at a time, we can make a great difference. So is what you see around you in your life, to you right now, a lost cause? Starfish scattered everywhere. And you just think, well, there's nowhere to start in this, is there? Um, Or could we believe that actually in this great story we've got to tell, um, we might be able to make a bit of a dent in it and start to see a difference. Now, Jesus said of himself that he was about good news to the poor, healing the brokenhearted, bringing deliverance to the captives, recovering the sight of the blind, setting free the bruised. Sounds pretty good to me. Um, And we were reminded last week that he also turned the tables over in the temple in sheer... uh, Why? Because he realised that some people weren't getting just how inclusive this thing is for everybody. So if you fit into any of those... Emotions tonight, if you're feeling poor, broken-hearted, like captive back to something, blind, you just can't see your way through what you're supposed to be doing, or you're feeling bruised, I've got something good to tell you. And if you're not feeling any of those things, then I've still got something good to tell you, because you might feel them at some point. Or you can be a great encouragement and lifter to those who need lifting up tonight. So let's start with an individual starfish. I'm going to start somewhere. On Wednesday morning, I heard something on a TV programme that was on in the background. And you know, when you're half listening to something, and I heard it, and I just felt myself go, what was that? Rewound it, and these were the words that literally smacked me in the face. It said, they say it's good to let your grudges go, but I don't know. I'm quite fond of my grudge. I tend it like a little pet. And when I read that, It spoke to me, and I found myself thinking, oh, am I doing that with anything? Because I have felt begrudged over some things recently. Um, And in that moment, I heard this challenge knocking at my heart saying, why am I not letting some of this stuff go? I'm not letting some of this stuff go because clearly I've made it my little pet that I'm tending, it's clearly doing something for me because if it wasn't doing something for me, somehow I would not be holding on to it so tightly. And so it made me wonder, why do we tend um, like a pet? Why do we tend these grudges? We call it holding a grudge. That's the expression we use. Um, Why do we keep them when actually they're painful and they often seem to work against what we really want and they keep these wounds that we have just sort of living and active and still out there, Um, and we live in the past experiences of this pain which prevent new experiences from being able to happen. Um, Why do we get so stuck? And more importantly, can we we get unstuck? Is there a way to move on? Now, I found this next line really challenging um, because I thought, oh yeah, I've done that. Holding a grudge is like letting someone live rent-free in your head. And don't things just camp 
in your head. Um, and I, I get things just camping in my, in my head. And it is, it's like something has moved in, something that feels consuming that you can't let go of. And if we visit it and we have like a little campsite in our mind of tents set up where we keep going and, and seeing it and they flap in the wind when you're trying to do anything else you're trying to do. Um, and part of me has been feeling really angry recently. But in some ways... Um, that's been a really positive thing for me because I've shared with you before that I used to believe I was, had to be all all right and perfect. Um, and I used to think that being angry with someone else made me a horrible person. So therefore, if I felt angry with someone else, I would think, oh, I'm not allowed to be angry. I would almost tell myself I wasn't angry. All of that gets repressed inside you because you're still angry. You've just pretended you're not. And have you ever tried to keep steam in a kettle? somewhere it, it's going to come out and you're going to boil inside. And actually, I remember today that Ephesians 4 says something really interesting. In your anger, do not sin. Think about that. It is possible not to be sinning if you're having a moment of anger. It's massive, that. If you, I, had a, I got lost a bit today studying Ephesians 4, and that, that isn't where I'm going tonight, but it's fascinating. Have a little read of it and have a little study of it. Um, but in your anger, do not sin. So what I realised was I thought, right, I've heard that on the telly. I clearly am feeling that. So let's have a think. What am I angry about? Let's call a spade a spade, or in this case, let's call a grudge a grudge and work out where I go from here. So um, I don't hold grudges. I remember the facts, right? Let's just call it, I mean, you've just sung it. We'll call it what, I'll call it what you call it. Now, the definition is this. A persistent feeling of ill will or resenting, oh, sorry, or resentment resulting from a past insult or injury. Or the verb, something we be or something, we, it's a name, we identify with it or we do it, being resentfully unwilling to give grant or allow something. Now have a little think for a moment. And this is where my prayer is that you'll hear more beyond the word I'm saying, because I don't know how this applies to you. And there's absolutely, I promise, no condemnation in it, because in your anger, do not sin. So we're allowed to have a little think about what we're angry about and work out what to do. Some of you, I know, are here. Because otherwise, why would I feel inspired to speak about it? I could just have the conversation with myself. So where is it in you where you're thinking, this thing just keeps chewing over in me? This person and what they did or what they said is in my head. And I'm not really wanting to give them my all or my best or this my all or my best because of this, 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 this and this. It is very real and very powerful. And let's not pretty it up um, because I don't think I'm the only one that struggles with this. We all know how it feels. So is it, is it a problem? Is it a problem to have a grudge? Now, the truth is this. We've learned this a lot. We, we were taught the, a few weeks ago about the perils of freedom. The truth is, that in Corinthians, it says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Now, you can keep your bad feeling and your resentment and how you feel about it. You can have it if you want it. The question is, is it benefiting you? Is it mastering you? Has you become a slave to the feeling of it and to the outworking of it? Now, heed the warning that's implicit in this. Once these things start to master you, they are really driving your life. 
they start dictating decisions. Decisions lead to consequences. And before you know it, you're in a place that really was triggered by a, a grudge, a feeling you had towards someone else. And I liked this slide. It said, there's a universal paradox that you're free to choose, but you're not free from the consequence of your choice. Again, there's no condemnation in that. It's just if you make a decision, there's going to be a chain of events like dominoes, and you're going to end up here. Um, I don't want to be mastered and be dictated to by the, the grudges that come up because of pains that are, happen and how we have to process them. Now, this is not to make you afraid, um, because we all have to make choices, but it is a reminder that there is a point to pursuing truth. And some people think, well, you know, now there's not this thing where God's going to strike me down if I do anything wrong, or there's not someone telling me, you must live like this. What's the point? The truth is this. We do not have a scary God who we have to worry about. Is he going to still love me if I do this Y and Z? But it matters still what you listen to. It matters what you pay attention to. It matters who you surround yourself with and what you tend towards, because it matters in the context of you being a really wise and discerning decision maker such that you follow a path that is beneficial and life-giving to you and those around you. That's why it matters, not because you're in trouble if you don't, but because you want to set your life on a trajectory that is going to be amazing. So it still matters what you do, what you think, what you attend to, what you... It matters. Now, you get one shot at living. You get one shot. I had this, um, again, I, I'm finding myself, I'm feeling quite empowered in my 40s. I'm going to be 42 soon. And I remember, I'll be honest, a lot of my 30s, I was very sad. And when I reached 40, I thought, am I going to live another decade feeling sad? I've lived like 40 years. I don't, I don't want to do any more sad. You, you start to, I'm still quite young. 40 is the new 30, apparently, um, which you can all work backwards from there. But you still think, I, you know, we've got one shot, haven't we? What are we going to do with each of our todays? Are we going to fritter them away, obsess them away, or are we going to live them with Christ in us, the hope of glory? Um, now, does any of this next bit resonate? When you allow yourself to be carried along by what other people think your life should be, could be, must be, when you hand them the pen and tell them to write your story, you don't get, don't get the pen back, not easily anyway. I was an author who didn't know how to author her own life. I thought outside forces would guide me benevolently, rightly. They did not. And it was not their job. It was mine. I abdicated authority for my own choices. And what it led to was a broken body and depleted soul. <gasps> I thought that was huge. Um, are we abdicating responsibility for our choices because we're not paying attention? Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. We've talked a lot and we are a prophetic house. We've talked about the thin places where we know revelation comes. We are guided by the Holy Spirit. Don't hear what I'm not saying, but it is not detached from us. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory, and it's going to come through our understanding and how we pay attention and how we process from within. Now, holding grudges can lead to abdicating our own choices because the narrative becomes, well, I had to do this because they. I had no choice because 
that was happening. Um, it, just be aware, we cannot abdicate the fact that we have a choice. Now, I lived for years with the resentment of believing I was imprisoned by others' choices and I was desperately unhappy in it and very resentful until someone one day sat me down, gave me a bit of a slapping and made me see that actually I, what I did have a choice and I was making a choice and I had to own that choice and if I wasn't happy with that choice, I needed to make another one. It was one of the most awful conversations, but I tell you what, it was life-giving. We do have choices. Um, now, in the, in the, well, I've put here, be willing to get messy to get past a grudge. I tell you, sometimes you've got to have a messy conversation. And I've put this, a grudge will not just vanish and it is never impotent. It will always reproduce something in your life. So sometimes you've got to get with it. Now, early, there's an early story in the Bible about Jacob and Esau with the first mention of grudge. Now, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given to him. So the dad had said, Jacob, you're blessed. And Esau was like, well, what about me? I'm the oldest. I should have got the blessing. He was not happy. He was hurt. He felt rejected. He felt less than he was pained by it, and so he held a grudge. And what he said to himself was this, the, uh, his dad dies, and he says, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. So he's like, I'm gonna, as soon as this is over, I'm gonna kill him. And I just thought, uh, this is what the gr word grudge meant in this. It's to hate, oppose oneself to, bear a grudge, retain animosity against, or cherish animosity against. Which I thought, well, that's like the thing I said at the start about tending a pet. He somehow cherished his animosity about it. Why? Because he was looking forward to the moment where he could get his own back. I'm going to make sure that when the time comes, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to put back right what should have been put right. And we tend to cherish or tend to our grudge because if we're to let it go, what's been said and done to us, how is it ever going to be put right if I let it go? If I let it go, it's like me saying it's okay. If I let go how someone's treated someone else that I'm not happy about, it's like me saying I don't care and that it's okay. So I've got to keep it. I've got to maintain it because that is what's going to make sure it is sorted. Now, it ends up, though, for Esau, it ends up having that life in it that goes beyond what is his own choice to him being mastered by it. And let me just show you the next bit later on. Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him to Padam Aram to take a wife from there. And that when he blessed him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Don't worry, there's a context to it. Just get the heart of it. So he went to Ishmael and married Mahatha, the sister of Nehemiah, and daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. Now, this is the point. The point is this. Dad says to Jacob, oh, you're blessed, but don't marry a Canaanite. So Esau thinks, ha-ha, I'm going to go and marry a Canaanite now just to annoy you. Who's the only one living with the consequence of that? Really? Who? It, and that's what we do. It's almost like it, it drives us to be mastered. That wasn't a decision he was making because it was a great beneficial decision. It was a reactive decision to somehow deal with his pains and to somehow hurt the person who had hurt him. I don't think that's a beneficial way of living. I don't think it works, actually. And I think it sets up 
I tried to be really clever today and look, to look at, you know how Ant does this thing where he'd then look at the original meanings and I looked at the name of Esau's children so that there'd be a real biblical name that proved that the children he had were like really awful, but they don't mean anything. But it was going to be really impressive if it did. I still think it's the truth. Okay, now he knows what will make his father unhappy, so he does it on purpose. And now I find this interesting, and it, come on, it's not uncommon, is it? That's not an uncommon thing that we do. Um, we retaliate in all the ways we retaliate it because it's mastered us. And um, the grudge is in the driving seat, setting the direction. It is now what totally defines him. Now, let's have a look at this next one. As long as you make an identity for yourself out of pain, you cannot be free of it. Now, I need you to brace yourself for this next bit. It's quite painful. Are you ready? This bit made me go, ouch. Really? Okay. Are you ready to face possibly some truth for some of you that doesn't feel very nice? It's like medicine, that horrible stuff. Okay, here we go. You've just got to see if it resonates with you. Grudge, grudges come with an identity. With our grudge intact, we know who we are, a person who was wronged. As much as we don't like it, there also exists a kind of rightness and strength in this identity. We have something that defines us our anger and victimhood, which gives us a sense of solidness and purpose. We have definition and a grievance that carries weight. To let go of our grudge, we have to be willing to let go of an identity as the wronged one. And whatever strength, solidity, or possible sympathy and understanding we receive through that wronged identity. Some of you, I know this will be speaking to you. I had not... Oh, I was about to read the bit from my notes like it was from another book. Um, now, I... I find this quite powerful because I know I, I know I have done this and I know I sometimes do do this. This is why we tend it like a pet because it so has become part of who we are that actually there is a comfort, in, a weird comfort in the sense that um, because we've not sort of had it resolved any other way, it's almost like something we have to hold close. It's powerful, but if you can grasp it, it's really significant. Now, I had not registered the, I had not registered the link between a grievance and grief before I saw that. I'd never made that that link um, because it feels like a death and it's interesting what Joel was saying about a death in life it feels like a death that something's died and if you've ever experienced death of someone close to you you cannot just snap out of it you, re you really can't it is difficult to let go and what can be really hard is that when it first happens the sort of the moment or the you know the, the event of a person's death everybody rallies round and there's great comfort and there's great support and then to some extent, quite, quite rightly, you can't knock people for it, but everybody then returns to their own life. And you're forever altered because if it's the close person who was close to you. And I just thought um, we cannot judge others for their pain in that and for the grief in that. And the grief and the grievance, they are really, really closely li linked. Um, if you've never felt that, again, I've put on here, you have an amazing opportunity to be the ears, words, hands and feet of healing as part of this body. Um, now, he who conceals his grief finds no remedy for it. And again, part of letting go of a grievance or a grudge is that for as long as we're holding it like this, 
you, you're never going to be able to get free of it because you've got to, the part of letting it go has got to be that it comes out. We hold people responsible for the outcome of the event that they caused, the effect it's had in our lives, especially if we feel it was unjustified or undeserving. In order to let go, we have to revisit the scene and only leave it when we have come to a different conclusion or reconciled the event in our mind. Today, as I was thinking about this and wrestling with it massively because I thought, I can't come and stand and talk to you about it unless I've faced my, my own. I thought I've got to go back to those things that are making me rah. I've got to look at them through fresh eyes and I've got to decide what I am going to believe about it, what, how I am going to line myself up in this so it's not mastering me. Now, in one of Brendan Manning's books, um, he talks about reconciliation as the relentless tenderness of Jesus caressing our memory memories and massaging our broken hearts. Now, instead of tending to our pet grudge, to me, I took that that he tends tenderly to our hearts. Now, let me show you this. I've got it from the book, The Relentless Tenderness of Jesus. It's amazing, this. Now, that word there, oh, what a fantastic word is that. Splangnizome. Well, oh, go on. That sounds real, I'll go with that. Sounds great. Just beautiful. Um, now, it's a Greek verb usually translated in relation to when it talks about how Jesus has compassion. When Jesus had compassion on the crowds that came to him. It's also the one used for like, you know, the story of the father with two sons where there was an elder one and he was resentful of the younger one. And, and then the prodigal that we tend to call it comes back. It talks about how the father had compassion. Um, now the meaning behind the meaning is actually incredibly profound and powerful. The verb comes from the noun which means this, intestines, bowels, entrails, that is to say the inward parts from which the strongest emotions arise. I mean, deep, deep down. It's quite literally your gut reaction, quite literally from your gut. Now, the English translation of it, they've tried to to make it sort of active and give that sense of how moved is. They talk about things like moved with pity. His heart went out to them. So showing you that it's something physical. He's moved, his heart's going out. But it doesn't really capture the deep, what, what it says in the book, physical flavour of the Greek word for compassion. Oh, it just, it's beautiful. Because it's not superficial, you know, surface stuff, or ephemeral, great word, which means short-lived, emotions of pity or sympathy. It's not, oh, there, there, I feel sad for you for a while, but then that's it. It's, his heart was torn, his gut wrenched, and the most vulnerable part of his being laid bare. So when it talks about how Jesus was moved with compassion, that's how deep the compassion was. I mean, it's beautiful. And Brennan Manning interprets it as a sort of the relentless tenderness, that care from the deepest place. Um, it relates to the Hebrew word rachamim, womb of Yahweh. So it's his womb. Can't get any more help than that, can you? Such a deep, central and powerful emotion in Jesus that is only can only be described as a movement of the womb of God. I mean, 
get your head around that. Um, all the divine tenderness and gentleness lies there. Brendan Manning says it like this. There, God is father and mother, brother and sister, son and daughter. There, all feelings, emotions and passions are one in divine love. Now, you might be very familiar with the verse in Lamentations. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions, his womb, never fail. They are new every morning Great is your faithfulness. Now you might think, what has this got to do with grudges? And all I can tell you is that as I was working stuff through today and I came across this, I started to feel that a sense of absolute healing because you have to think, yes, I've got all of this stuff that I could feel about all of this stuff. But if you turn your attention to a to a God, um, like Joel says, I don't remember what you call it, to, to that sense in which there's a father with that deep a sense of compassion for our cares and our beings and our world and the people that he saw. So I, I find tremendous comfort in that. I find myself taking my eyes off the things that I feel about and just thinking, Wow, that is something and a direction worth setting myself to. Now, the idea is not to re-traumatise ourselves by diving into the original pain, but rather to attend to that pain under that sort of compassion. So to think, right, I am going to sit with my pain and work through what it is, but... I'm going to sit with it under the umbrella of understanding that there is a relentless tenderness, a compassion that goes deep into the very heart and essence of everything you could believe about God, the Father. I'm going to sit and look at my pain in that place and in that context of that place. That feels like something worth doing. Um, now, can we find reconciliation in that place? I think we can. We can't guarantee you get reconciled with people because they have their choices that they'll make. You can't guarantee that you especially will get reconciled with the very people you want to get reconciled with, but I can guarantee that you'll get an experience of it in you, the hope of glory and that sense of um, comfort. So my prayer is may it come... May that comfort find us tonight in the areas of our deepest pain. That it would be good news to the poor, healing to the brokenhearted, deliverance to the stuff that has made us captive and set up camp in our minds, recovery of sight to the blind that will see something else light will shine on it and set him free of the bruise that will be healing to me, to you, to our loved ones. And may we be a house, God help us to be a house of such compassion. Now, I'm going to just do one cautionary thought to close to consider to give you this context. Um, um, oh, I forgot about that. There is a weird paradox here. Um, compassion houses the pain totally because it's like a womb. We've talked about that. But if you think about when, when you're in sort of when a baby's in the womb, it doesn't sort of stay there, does it? It 
somehow um, is provided for, it grows, it's nurtured, and then it's birthed into a new experience. Um, and we have to be careful because we can find ourselves tending grudges um, to the point where we just all, all live there f forever. And, and we can also find ourselves tending grudges that are not our own um, and in a bit of a bad way sometimes. I mean, we used to call it second-hand offence. Have you ever heard of that? Where it's like, well, I, I've not got a problem with them, but they've got a problem with them over there, so that must mean I've got a problem. We've got to be so careful that we don't take that on. Now, a woman was caught in the act of adultery in the Bible, and at that time, that was a massive big no-no, and you should be stoned for it. You should be killed for it. Um, she was guilty of the crime they accused her of, and that, this is what I thought was very powerful today. She was guilty of the thing that she was accused of. And we can think, well, we're all right to have a grudge if the person's guilty. I'm not sure we are. Jesus still says no stone throwing to the group and he writes on the ground. We don't know what he writes on the ground. There's some educated guesses. Could have been the things that they needed to think about in their own life. But whatever he wrote on the ground had an impact that made them think, oh, I'm not justified to throw a stone in this situation. And each of them walked away. And I thought, just again, I really felt I needed to say tonight that collective, when we get together as a group, collective damning um, does not become okay if the person is guilty. Um, that's not tenderness and relentless tenderness goes far further than that. And I told, as I put on my notes, I told you it's not for the faint-hearted because that's hard. Because you think, well, if the person's not guilty, that's fine. But what if the person's guilty? Have I still got to be compassionate towards them? Have I still got to be compassionate towards someone who's guilty? You don't have to be. It's your choice, isn't it? But I know what trajectory I want my life to go on. Jesus says, "Where are your accusers?" neither do I condemn you and accusers we've learned this and I looked it up today accuser was the name given to the devil by the rabbis he was called the accuser so Jesus interpretation is this moment in this moment was that the ones wanting to throw the stone at the guilty one would be in the devil it's worth thinking about isn't it don't want to do that last bit um, now, I know I've had some stones in my hands towards some stuff, but I had to let some stones go today. I had to let some stones go because I thought, I don't want to be the accuser in this situation. I don't want to think that I, I'm the one who's entitled to judge this situation. I, I had to humble myself and say, Jenny, you're banging out of line. Pack it in, let it go, put your stones down, woman. Um, and, you know, that, it's not easy, but, but... I want to be a person of relentless tenderness who can, because of Christ in me, the hope of glory, reflect the compassion that is Christ. Because my goodness me, I have experienced it in my life and that is the only appropriate response. So I'm going to speak healing to your wounds tonight. I want to speak reconciliation where it can be reconciled in a way that we see physically, may that come to pass. And um, where it cannot be reconciled physically, may we have a reconciliation of heart. And for what it is worth, I am sorry for where you feel wounded. I'm sorry for the damage that has been caused to you, for where people might have been cruel or unkind or unforgiving. I'm sorry that hurting people hurt people. And then we hurt people and then they hurt people I'm sorry for that cycle that happens in life and I think we can be part in this place of breaking that cycle because we can be a compassionate house of relentless tenderness and over a lifetime 
That is a life worth living, don't you think? So beloved, not begrudged. Beloving, not begrudging. Because we become convinced of his compassion. And I am utterly convinced that that is how he loves and sees us. So we are going to sing to close, his love never fails. Um, And as you're singing it, have in your mind that that love is that relentless tenderness. And that is where you can begin to address these pains. And if you need help, we'll help you. But even as we sing, receive a revelation of that tenderness as you open your heart tonight and let's all move forward together. Okay, lovely. Thanks for listening. You might not be aware that The Rock is funded completely through donations from people like yourself. So if you feel like you're part of our community, it would be great if you could make a contribution by visiting our website at www.rockofyork.co.uk and just click on the donate button for more information. Thanks again. Thanks again.